Welcome to the Revelation Project Podcast. I'm Monica Rogers, and this podcast is intended to disrupt the trance of unworthiness and to guide women to remember and reveal the truth of who we are. We say that life is a revelation project, and what gets revealed gets healed. Hello, everyone. Happy September. Can you believe it? We're already in September. I hope you have had an incredible and magical summer. I know I have. It's definitely not been without its little roller coaster rides, but for the most part, I am feeling incredibly grateful for the summer I've had. I've had lots of days out in the garden and I've been writing. And of course, many of you know that I am headed to Greece. I am going on a pilgrimage with 20 other women and I can't wait to come back and tell you more and to start a brand new podcast season. In the meantime, these episodes that you're listening to have been pre-recorded, and this episode is with Richard Harris, and I enjoyed this conversation with him so much. What I loved most about it is that Richard asked me as many questions as I asked him, but the essence of our conversation is about freedom. It's about unmasking tyranny and really all of the ways that so many of us have been conditioned into fear-based control in our society that keeps us from daring to color outside the lines or that keeps us from taking risks, especially keeps us from investing in ourselves by doing things that disrupt the status quo. So I loved this conversation. In it, we talk about the sacred masculine, the divine feminine. We talk about Oh my goodness, we talk about the Knights Templar, we talk about the Gnostics, we talk about COVID, we talk about all of the ways that we have been, I should say I, because Richard asked me to kind of share more about my own spiritual journey and Richard shares more about his. But in it, you know, we talk more candidly and more vulnerably about some of the trauma that we have each been through and how COVID kind of added an extra layer along the way and really brought the importance of discernment and really staying embodied and not abandoning ourselves when we were faced with really difficult choices during COVID. So I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed making it. I have two announcements before we begin. One is to let you know that Libby Bunton and I are going to be offering another round of the Unbecoming Sisterhood Circle this coming November 7th. If you are interested, please jump on the wait list so that you can be the first to learn more and also be the first to learn when we open enrollment. That'll be happening, I think, toward the end of September. But I would love for you to be one of the first to know, especially if you're someone who's been interested in taking part of one of our sisterhood circles. In this specific sisterhood circle, we're going to be delivering the teachings, tools, and practices of what we call embodied feminine leadership. And this specific unbecoming circle is all about divesting from patriarchy, and untangling from good girl programming. And so 
as I say all of this, please note that we place an emphasis on the integration of what we call the sacred masculine and feminine in this course. So this isn't about beating up on the masculine. It's actually about embracing the upright integrated masculine and embracing and tapping into all of these incredible energies that are available to us now, especially as it relates to the sacred feminine. And we will explain what the hell that means when you jump on the waiting list. So please do that at signup.jointherevelation.com slash unbecoming. That's signup.jointherevelation.com slash unbecoming. The last announcement is for those of you that are new to this podcast, we have a monthly giveaway. Please join us in the spirit of reciprocity and generosity and jump on that list to be eligible to win books, gifts, just special handmade items from guests who've been celebrated on the podcast over the course of the last four years and upcoming guests, as well as local, and that's local to me, as well as global makers who have wanted to be part of the spirit of what our indigenous brothers and sisters refer to as the spirit of Aini. And it's this idea of giving unconditionally, trusting that whatever it comes in return is exactly what is supposed to be. And what I love about the spirit of Aini is that it's so deeply aligned with the spirit of what the Revelation Project all is to me. It's, it really invites us into the spirit of this feminine way of being in trust. And it gives us an opportunity, if those of you who are listening end up winning, an opportunity to bask in the receiving of unconditional love from people you don't even know who have made something or given something with you in mind. So if this idea intrigues you, there's more ways that you can participate and you can learn about some of the nuances of participating by hitting the link in the show notes or just head over to the website, my website at jointherevelation.com. Okay, here we go off to the main show with my incredible conversational companion, Richard Harris. Welcome to another episode of the Revelation Project Podcast. Today, I'm with Richard Harris. Hey, Richard. Hey, Monica. How you doing? So well. And I want to give my listeners a little bit of background about you. I know that you're a life coach, but you've also studied and practiced personal development for over two decades. And you use what you call an eclectic model of coaching. I feel like that's definitely also what I do is just take what really works for me and kind of leave the rest behind. So I love that. And I love that you are passionate about freedom and that you're very active in the freedom movement, both online and offline. So I love that you say that you are an enemy of tyranny, both within and without, as well as an advocate for the best in humanity to grow. And I would love to just start right there. Like when you say an enemy of tyranny, both within and without, let's just start right there. What does that mean to you? Okay, that's, that's a really good question. So, so what is tyranny then? Well, tyranny is the left-hand path. It's evil. 
It's a psycho-spiritual state which involves the rapacious taking advantage of other people through some fear-based modality. So it would necessarily be that 100% of the time. Fear is binary. So this is weird. I'm trying to find someone to challenge me to see if I'm wrong on this, but I, I had this insight on the pilgrimage I just did recently. The fear always comes into two, right? You always have the object of what you need and then the, the thing that you're afraid of. And if you apply that to the 50 or 100 or several hundred different varieties of fear, like it bifurcates into two. So it comes in that fear-based thing and then it must arrange itself into hierarchy. So it put in more simple terms, like stuff like the Soviet Union, Nazi Germany, North Korea, this clown world stuff that's happening now where the government comes in and messes around with your life and censors and lies and cajoles and gaslights and manipulates. That stuff, like on the government level, dealing with individuals, dealing with corporations and in dealing with my own shadow and you know the whole projection stuff, that's my enemy. Yeah. And I am for liberty, truth, love, freedom and you know the, the groovy awesomeness that we all might are on I think the fresh of becoming if we can just get through this dodgy time in history. Right. And what I'm hearing is if we can actually just get through the fear, there's this way that that's what separates. And I love that you're talking about this as the binary or the bifurcation, because I always say fear separates, but that's just another way to say it that makes so much sense. It is the divisiveness that creates a position which then needs an opposition. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think there's so much nuance to unpack in that, as, as you might think. Because like, because to be clear, like fear, there is d- division in, in exactly the way you're saying, but also fear-based people come together just fine. I mean, like, look at this world now. It's like the Tower of Babel. You know, we, we have the whole world come together in these sort of like multi-level power pyramid. So if you're saying, well, let's come together, well, we did it. <laughs> like, we, we are more together now than we have ever been, but we are together without discernment. And we are together in fear and in hierarchy on the whole. And and that so our togetherness under this context becomes our problem, you see. Yes. Okay. I love that. So talk to me a little bit more before we kind of dive more deeply into your just your coaching and what your broader vision is in terms of the clients you work with and how you do that work and what some of the topics or the realms you're exploring with your clients. Okay. All right. So, I mean, it's, it's, I think that the topics people first come in with are, are what you might think. So there's a lot of people with like substance abuse issues, like alcohol and cannabis seem to be the most common ones. I don't know if you found that in your work as well. Yeah, those two. yeah, not as much, not as much, but I do find that addiction in all its forms is something. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, well, it's it's those two, and then, and then like porn and masturbation, like that that probably comes up more than those two substances. Narcissistic abuse, we deal with that a ton. Occasionally, my clients have uh, narcissistic love handles that need like trimming down, but more often than not, they're the victims of it. So they need they, there's a ton of healing they need to do from their uh, codependency. Uh, a lot of it is freedom stuff, um, but that tends to come later. And then, and then there's like people like they often come because they want to optimize and they want to be better and they want to like you know they say they're like seven out of ten they want to get to eight out of ten. And, and another one is they want to find like their purpose and their meaning. Yeah, that, so there's, so they're, they're, those are the ones that come to mind. And then what I do is like it's the eclectic approach, right? So like as you're well aware, every human being is both biological, we've got a social thing, we have this like environmental element to us. Then we have the surface psychology stuff that I think Western psychology deals pretty well with. You go to slightly deeper bits that maybe the psychotherapist 
do well with. And then you have deeper spiritual, which is where I think the real action is, the real leverage is, the, the real impact. So it goes from like biohacking to good nutrition, to training, to cleansing, to putting boundaries in place with your society and stuff, to getting your tech right, to like cognitive type stuff but it always comes back to the spiritual stuff because that's where the biggest leverage is for my own stuff personally that's where all the challenges are so it's it's where 80 or 90 percent of my attention goes because it's quite frankly it's really important for people to like fast and do your magnesium supplements and like go on keto if you're you know inclined to that but it's really easy or relatively speaking it's really easy i wonder if you agree monica the action the real complicated action is like what happens deep in the inner planes oh for sure yeah. I even look at the name of this podcast. It's revelation. It's not a surface level thing. It's, for me, it's that going deep. You know, I figured out, I loved somebody said once, like, I'm not a snorkeler, I'm a deep diver. And it's like, I've often talked about the fact that I cannot breathe on the surface of life. If things just stay surface level, I actually can't breathe. And there's that breath, that spirit mm -hmm. to soul dive. I feel like that's where I can breathe, where there's grit and mess. Like it doesn't have to be, it's just that seems to be the more comfortable I get with this curiosity and trusting myself that I can go to these deeper places that I don't have to use masks of certainty or masks at all, that I get to be in the depth of my experience without needing to buffer myself, without needing to medicate myself. Yeah. So it's really that in itself was a revelation. It's like, oh my gosh, this is what it is to be in this life, <laughs> to come to life. It's this series of lifting all of these veils of illusion of what the world told me or how the world told me to be to reveal who I really am with all of its complexity. I, I think you explained that very beautifully. And, and I love your passion. And, and I think you, you're spot on because like, li there are two civilizations. Okay. There's the people that are on their way to awakening as pompous as that is, that happens to be true. And there's people that like are trying to stay in this sort of dumbed down, contrived kind of like fear-based control system. And the two civilizations are splitting apart. And I think when we had the COVID crisis, they split apart a good bit. And I think every day that went along, they, they went bigger and bigger and people switched between them. But the, the opportunity to, to sort of jump between these two is getting less and less as time goes by. But I, I think with those beautifully passionate words that you just said there, they get right to the core of it. Because if I'm saying there's two civilizations, well, what are they defined by? The Gnostic civilization, it is defined by what you're saying there. It's, it's curiosity, you see. What's the truth? Put on this. What, what is the bit deep? Go deeper. Go more real. So when you have these conversations, then you start talking about, wow, let's look at the crop circles. Let's look at the UFOs. Let's look at like, I don't know, like decentralized future. Let's look at like what my psyche is. Let's look at alchemical transformations, which I know is something you're passionate about and on and on and on. And it gets even more weird, even more serious and even more like magical and playful. And that's what you were getting at so beautifully in that thing. The other civilization is the opposite of that. And I, and I chose those topics, like aliens and crop circles and all that sort of stuff, because those are outside the Overton window. Monica, you don't talk about that. Don't talk about telepathy. Don't talk about No, you don't talk about that. Exactly. That's not the safe zone. That's not the that's not the zone of and again, I'm, I'm using the air quotes, but that's where the conformist culture will keep you yeah. from actually getting curious or 
you know, there's this constant, and this is the part that I love kind of getting curious about, which is exactly, it's like the more you tell me not to be curious, the more curious I become. I'm like, what are you hiding under that? You know what I mean? Like, that's where I go. And what I've found is that that can be a really lonely place for some people, meaning I've been really lonely in that at times because as the world around me continues where you have these events in our society that happen, it shows me how nonconformist I am in a world where I thought, wait, I thought all these people were like me. Yeah, yeah. No, great points. So at this phase, at least, I totally empathize with what you're saying there about how how isolating it can be to go on that sort of like path of curiosity. So so, so the question I have is like, how have you dealt with it? Because I, I know a lot of people listening to the show will, will recognize that loneliness you were talking about. Well, I really appreciate the question. I don't think a lot of people have asked me that question. So ask it again, and let me kind of just feel into it. So the question is, how have you coped with that savage level of loneliness that everyone doing our thing has experienced during these last few years? Okay, so a variety of ways. I love that you're helping me surface this. I don't know that I've been super aware. So here's what comes up for me. Prayer. (laughs) That's one place that I've really gone to. How I learned to pray as a child and how I actually pray are two very different things. It's understanding what my own spiritual path is and what spiritual autonomy is has continued to kind of be an evolving process for me. But it's for me, it's this place of non-abandonment. It's the place where I go inside of myself to resource myself when I'm feeling fractured or lonely or reactionary or upset. It's the place where I go to comfort because usually there's an inner child piece or several of them that's triggered by something that's happening out there. And so what I find is that I'm coming, I'm needing to come back home to myself to commune with those parts of myself that believe that I need to be accepted or validated out there in order to belong. Good point. So so what was that term abandonment? So that everyone in our game has to come to massive terms of that whole abandonment thing, right? Because we are the people that say the emperor has no clothes, right? We're the ones talking about freaking telepathy and aliens and the rest of it, right? Right. So you're going to get abandoned hard. And I think one of the things that helped me come to terms with that whole thing is like, look, I do want community and I do want connection. I'd like to have that, right? But the big moral lesson in that cluster of lessons I learned is don't ever sacrifice respect for that stuff, you see. Otherwise, because you want it so much, you want to be like loved and accepted and supported and the rest of it. And if you don't have the self-respect in place, the evil people, evil with a biggie, technically, specifically evil people, will come up to you and they will challenge you on that. And the tragic irony of evil is that like they can't help but be your servant. And, and the reason is like they're there to test you to say, do you really, do, do you really have the respect? Are you sure? You know? And then if you don't, they'll savagely abuse you. You'll get knocked down and then you'll have to build up again. But this time, no, look, I would rather die alone in the woods, afraid and shivering and like, like that then I would be tyrannized and be disrespect, like allowing myself to be disrespected. And then this weird irony takes place. At that point, you're allowed to have the community. 
<laughs> yes. But it's, it's not just community. I think nearly all of these things, right? You could have that for your sexual impulse. You could have that for, I don't know, for, like, for your job, for anything at all. And like, that's one of the big things in this process that we're going on now is like evil is at its greatest level, possibly in the great year, for those that are interested in astrology, right? In 25,000 years, it is organized and built up and prepared for goodness knows how long. So the level of robustness testing that it's doing is as high as ever. So you've got to really be dialed in on all these different areas that you're expected to be in, in order to pass through. And, and they're going to savage you every time you don't do that. And I would say that respect, self-respect, not giving away self-respect to it. And that's one of the rules you got on from it's an occult rule. It can't be taken respect. It has to be given away. That's right. And they will test you on that hard. Yeah. Well, I think if I were to go back to you know, the dark night of the soul that I had in 2008, 2009, where I spent nine months in bed, that was really the place that I went to was this place where I had nothing left to lose, Yeah, which was where I gained it all. Right? Do you say, so it is that moment of paradox. And I love that you're pointing it out because there's always that place where we think we've hit the rock bottom and we realize that there's a whole underground garage that we didn't even consider yet. So it's like the bottom of the bottom of the bottom that you finally get to that then becomes kind of the ceiling or whatever that expression is. But that's what it really feels like for me was this place where I got to face myself and all of my shadows and all of my fears and be like, do it give it your best shot. And just that expression of eat the bear is that moment where you're willing to be annihilated. Yeah. And you realize like, oh my God, like I'm still intact. I'm still here. I faced my worst fear in it. So yes to that. And then to go back to your question, prayer was one, getting out in nature when I could was so grounding for me. And I never got that until I got that, that actually so much of what separates us from our own divinity and from our own knowing is are all of the distractions in the modern day world. And so the minute that you really get out and in sync with truly life, you have access again to all of it. That's where so much of my intuitive gifts really come out. Like, I don't know about you, but you were talking, you were referencing pilgrimage earlier. Like for me, it's like when I'm walking, it's like this contemplative state where I'm in this co-creative process with the universe. And again, if you take me back to 2008, 2009, I would have been like, whatever, okay, unicorns and rainbows. But that was another place to survive what I saw going on. It was also having transparent conversations with people that I cared about and trusted, that I felt that I could have conversations with at least to let them know where I was in all of it so that I wasn't pretending that everything was okay. Because that was really important to me. Yeah, well, well done. Yeah, so 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 much of what that other culture is about is, is, is pretense. It's necessarily about pretense, actually. If you take the pretense out of it, those people then have to migrate to this new culture. Yeah, and I love what you're saying about going into nature and that kind of thing. Completely validate that. It's definitely true. And I think some people like they make that the whole of their spiritual practice. You know, they just like go and 
touch the trees and you know like bathe under the sun and and then they get really good at it and they can like look at the birds and like the insects and stuff and like read it you know like i, I don't know can, can you do any of that stuff a little bit last year you know i have many moments in the last year i actually started practicing and learning i did a course with Carrie Hummingbird, and she is a shaman, and she was doing a year of medicine. And I was really interested in like, okay, so what is this inner medicine journey? And that was where I started learning a lot about the four directions and understanding, in many ways, the natural principles, indigenous cultures, and spiritualities that have been here since the beginning of time, but really understanding them from through my own experience, through my own lineage, and starting to actually get, again, curious about places that I've never been curious about, such as my ancestors. And that curiosity led me initially to a, a first trip in Scotland. But as I was kind of in the North exploring ancestors, I started just hummingbirds started coming into my literally like hovering a foot from my face. And I was like, what is going on until I figured out, oh my gosh, like this is a very real experience to be in this conversation with the hidden world. It's hiding in plain sight. No, 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 no. I, th I think you're absolutely spot on the way you describe that. And I think it's no joke as well. Like when, if you actually get to the depth of what you're saying there about what a hummingbird in front of you means as that reflects to the hidden world, it's like soul crushingly deep. Yeah. The, the level of responsibility and like power and fun and terror and the rest of it in, in that little equation that you expressed there, like it's too much to bear sometimes, which is why I think a lot of us on this path, like you, you go through these dark night of the soul moments because like if you start rummaging around in that hidden world, start pulling on wires and moving objects around, things get very the manifested world is like the shore that the, the waves lap against, right? So, and, and the deeper into the, the depths you go, like the more impact that it has. Yes. So if we're talking about solutions to this thing, one of them actually is like, you know, get deeper than the enemy can get because they can only go so far to the light and because they have to live in this contrived bit near the shore. But to finish that previous point, you go down there and you start rummaging around like you, you make mistakes. <laughs> and like the deeper, deeper the mistake is, the bigger the freaking impact so I'm, I'm sure a lot of people will resonate with that, who any of this makes sense to. And tell me, because I get so curious, because you have such a depth to your ability to be with these conversations, you and I had this amazing conversation the first time we met. Yeah, we did. It occurs to me that you too have had your own experiences with this. And so I get curious, what were those experiences and what led you to reveal these aspects of life that you're so enthusiastic and passionate about oh man well i mean like there's there's a long answer to that i probably longer than this whole show okay what comes to mind now i've always been interested in stuff this stuff since a kid since i was a kid i was always weird you know and i think being a bit weird is is a prerequisite to it if you'll excuse the pomposity of, of this like i used to actually project a lot, a lot as a kid like have other stuff like that but the thing is i was very young so i didn't didn't know it was even called astral projection. It's just like this thing that happens when I'm laying in bed. I 
And I've heard that more often than you might think. I've heard that from people who are adults now that didn't know that that's what they were doing, but that is absolutely what they were doing as children. We didn't have people saying, oh, that's what that is and don't do that and that's not okay. Our imagination was in, and our intuition just took us to these places, I, I believe. Yeah, man. In a better culture, like they could have told three-year-old me, oh yeah, you're doing that. Well, why don't you try this exercise, this exercise, this exercise? And then probably by age five, I would have been flying to the Akashic Records or something, but not that age, unfortunately. Like it's it's a different time. But so like, it, so it was a very hard time and there were lots of just like, fucking challenges that I had to deal with. I mean, like run, various lifelong run-ins with, with narcissism was a very hard challenge. I went to a military boarding school from like age to 11 to 18, which was bloody tough. It was one of the hardest things I ever did because I think I've done harder things technically, but like when you're that young, you know, and you're sent away to like some shit, harsh, gray version of Harry Potter, but without the magic and with just more shouting and marching and polishing shoes and stuff. Oh my God. You get the idea. No, it's brutal, man. I was so homesick. So it was for like three years. It's like you, you have the flu or something for like three years. She was like, I want to go home. So, and, and then like, it's not just being homesick. It's like you're in this like fiercely hierarchical thing, which is like a, a like a big feeder thing for like for the bottom tiers of the system. So like in, in, it's probably the same in, in in the US or something like West Point. That yeah, so similar vibe to that. So it's like fiercely hierarchical. The teachers are hierarchical. The kids are hierarchical. There's like this law of the jungle thing in in there. And you know, for a, for a very sensitive individual like me, who is like weird and sensitive and smart, but like had like these big gaping wounds, like in like self esteem and like um, emotional wholeness, that was fucking difficult. But you know, it, these things, if you survive them and you continue to overcome them, rather because when you, when you get that kind of evil, there's three things that can happen. The most retarded of them is you can identify with the abuse. So you can kind of see the pattern and go, aha, well, if I get the superior position here and I learn how to gaslight you better and I get like all that stuff, then I can, I can be a better Agent Smith than you. And then at that point, you become more retarded and the Matrix truly has you. The other one is you can collapse by the damn thing. So like it can be so hard that you just maybe, maybe you had a spell of that when you're in your bed for nine years. Mm-hmm. Or, or, sorry, nine years, nine months. Thank God it wasn't nine years. Holy shit. And, and then the, the third way, which is what you did is you overcome and then every time you overcome you get stronger and so so that i forgot what the original question was but that i'll tell you what the original question was but what i love is that you just illuminated these three ways that it could typically go i think they're the only three ways i think but they might be i love that you surface them because again if if you can't beat them join them that's one option where you're learning to how to play the game but play it better yeah. right yeah, or yeah, yeah. it breaks you in which case you end up in bed for 9 months like everybody's probably got their version of some aspect of that some way shape or form because i do think it's not the first time and it probably won't be the last i mean maybe maybe not but what i find and I won't take this too far, but it's not about it never happening again. It's about being able to recover faster and faster through trusting myself. Well said. So well said. And then that other path, which is the path that I think is so, I wonder too, if that's not part of, 
I know it's part of choice, but I wonder too if it's not part of destiny in some way that, you know, we're given the exact right circumstances to become who we need to be this time around. Like, I don't know what your beliefs are as far as that. But when I look back at the rigor and the trauma of my childhood, what I see is how perfect it was for creating this version of me. Yeah, it's so well put. Like, so this is right on the edge of what I know. But my understanding is like, you you know what you're signing up to before you come here. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. So you choose your family and that kind of thing. And like, that's a lot of that's to do with karma. I say I'm brilliant in that case. At first, I thought I was like completely whacked. Like I thought I was weird to begin with. But then I was like, who would do that? Who would choose what you chose? But now I think I'm brilliant. But go ahead. No, well, well, haven't you noticed that like every single quote unquote brilliant person you've met, people that are really pushing things and really reaching out there, they they have such darkness. And and I I think it's 100%, not 99%, 100% that that's the case. Mm Mm-hmm. Because again, like that, you overcome the evil, and and and, you, and through that overcoming process, like you know, you build in these treasures. And if you don't identify with the abuse or or get consumed or just destroyed by it, did you have a dark night of the soul? And I think you answered it. It was like, yeah, I was in military school, and it these three choices, or maybe there's even a point where you had a massive breakdown before a breakthrough. But tell me more. Well, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it was military school, but like there was multiple dark nights of the soul, like but for, from then to like my age now, like 38. I mean, the COVID crisis was one long marathon that we are still in right now. That was a big dark night, night of the soul. Huge. Yeah. Um, but again, like as long as I didn't get too destroyed by all these things, like th- these were also the biggest growth periods. And to finish that point on like military school, what it taught me, that clown freaking system this whole thing of like rules and you have to and don't do as i obedience. say obedience obedience yeah obedience i was like right fuck you that's my enemy like i i have unbelievable in my blood the detestment for that and i will die before i let that stuff pass through me and um, and that's one of the things that it that it taught me and i and i and, I, and, and it's fueled me now like because the covid crisis happened you know some almost 20 years after i left that damn place and that boiling in my blood was still there. And I, and, and you recognize archetypally it's the same freaking enemy. I love this. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Because it's like, oh, I've had like, this was my training ground, actually. They were trained in obedience. I was trained in something entirely different. Damn straight. Yeah. Liberty, curiosity, love, truth, like no, no tyranny can exist with those things. I mean, you could, you could even just have one of them. Choose curiosity and just nail on that. You will not have a tyranny where there is curiosity like that. Okay. Well, what you're pointing to right now, I think is so important because curiosity requires you to doubt and ask questions. Yes. Okay. Now, what exactly what we're conditioned to do is not. Never doubt in most faith traditions and religions, there's something wrong with you if you're doubting. If you're doubting, you're not faithful. If you're doubting, there's something you're sinning right there because you just don't believe. And then we're also taught not to ask questions. I mean, look at the school system. It's, it's predominantly about regurgitating information back and obedience. And it's the same way that we're conditioned through generations to parent our children and on and on and on it goes. And so you get somebody who comes in as a chain breaker. Apparently I volunteered for that. (laughs) 
uh, I'll do it. You know, I was like, what? Who said that? Anyway, you know, it's just like fascinating. So yes, you're absolutely right. Like COVID comes along and you're like, wait a minute, why does this feel so familiar? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. There was something about it that I just kept, what is happening right now? But I also knew what was happening. It was like something inside of me just kept saying, you were born for this. You were born for this. You were born for this. I know what you mean. Like in, in our game, right? Monica, you got to be so, we have to be so freaking careful of like pomposity and any, any sense of like pride, which is the need for the superior position and the fear of the inferior position. And the longer we survive and keep overcoming, the, the more critically important that comes. Cause if you, if you slip up on that, you're done for. Um, and you'll cause you, me, anyone else will cause a lot of damage to ourselves and everyone. But th- that said, I know what you mean. Like the, on day one, when it clicked in, it was like something woke up. I was like, right, Rich, it's now, it's now go listen, click it in, you know? And, and I, and I did. And since then I've been, I've been running with this thing, you know? Amazing. Well, because then it was also became this defining moment where you saw things more clearly. It was like it had been hiding in plain sight in various disguises, but it just became super apparent suddenly like, oh my God. And for me over here, I call it the trance of unworthiness. That's how I relate to kind of the mental slavery or whatever we're going to call it. But I'm most concerned and my work is most concerned with how it entraps women. But it also, and that happens to be predominantly my work, but I, it's not like, oh, that's just an isolated group. It has its own layers and complexities. But this is the human story. And I think this is what we're starting to break through. And as Charles Eisenstein calls it, the space between stories, where we have an opportunity to create a new story. But first, we have to see the story we've been living in, so to speak. Yeah, million percent. Yeah, okay. So I, I think that the whole thing about unworthiness, particularly for women, is a major component in this shit, satanic, slave, clown world thing that we find ourselves in, right? It's not just that. There's, there's loads of other ingredients, but that's a major chunk of the whole thing. So so do you want to explain, like, loop around for, for my benefit and for the audience, like, what unworthiness is and how it enslaves us? Sure. So... I say that the messages of unworthiness are like death by a thousand tiny paper cuts. It's not like you're just baptized in unworthiness one day. It's number of different messages that come across first in gender roles. Think of the story of the creation story that most of us are taught that women come from the rib of the man, that the man has dominion. Many, many church Bible study, you name it, growing up, there was there were these constant messages. And if they were not inside of the church, there were certainly plenty of them in school. So there's the implicit messages, and then there's the there's explicit, implicit, which, which one am I missing? The one where, as a girl, just noticing at some point that it's his story. There are no women in any of the textbooks growing up. There are all of these ways that we are having society, many of them are media, TV. I even say romance is part of the trance because the way that women are brought up like microdosed on these pretty pictures of what relationships are and the pretty white dress and the, and the way that we are 
basically it's like this sacrificial <laughs> way of so let me go back to this place where there's a major thing that happens as we come into womanhood and it's called developing into the very thing that you've seen society point you away from degrade and basically it's you're becoming the very thing the misogynistic culture you start realizing i can be anything but that and now i'm developing into a woman as a young girl and in indigenous cultures that would never happen we would be celebrated we would have wise women that would be cheering us over coming into these rituals and these ways of staying inhabited within ourselves and so my theory is that we actually are enculturated to disassociate to leave our very bodies and to get tr we get trapped up in our mind there's literally i believe there's like a a psychological fracturing or like a fracturing of the psyche that happens no th there is like so there's so much to unpack there right so much to unpack but like so we're coming out of a, of a spiritual dark age right we're, i think we're, we're actually out of the kala yoga and we're in the, the next one which is called like a dwapa yoga i think there's a really good case for that the point is it's a dark time and when it's dark it means like you're furthest away from the light and your attention is most into the the compellingness of the manifested world right and so in the manifested world the masculine energy, the traditional masculine energy, is strongest. We men are physically stronger. We're good with the intellect and with that engineering type stuff. And we nail it there. And the problem with that is like if, if you're so lost in that and you, and you don't even have any understanding of the inner planes, let alone like depth of it, then you're just going to say, well, that's, this is a man's world. And from that perspective, it really is. You, you see, like Gnostics, like the Knights Templar, for example, they were female worshippers, these like buff warrior monks, like hyper-masculine, badass Gnostic people from, from the Middle Ages. So it's just like, okay, well, why why all the emphasis on Mary Magdalene and why are you kneeling to women and all that? So, so I'll get to the answer to that, but like, let's look at the problem because everything you said there about like, oh yeah, you know, like, you know, pointing like the, the women hating in our society and like, you've got no place and all this kind of thing. And there's this denigration. It's like, well, yeah, those are, with a lot of nuance, those are, are true problems. And then a lot of women kind of, I can see the way they react to that. They react into the cabal triangulation where they're like, well, now I want to be like an independent, strong women and men and all this kind of stuff. And then, and now we've been triangulated against now men and women are at war with each other. And then the solution that women go to that to, I find is they become corporate slaves. Like they abandon what is feminine in them and become these like weak pseudo masculine type people. And they go work nine to five if they're lucky for some like, horrible death corporation yeah so to put that full circle there's a better way because i think some of the, the problems you're listing there i, th I, th I think are serious problems right but well and i want to also say that it's all by design it is by design yeah and back to what you were saying is like yes they become the corporate slaves and and by design and the war between masculine and feminine by design Multi-led, right? Because you get you get the triangulation, which these clowns are always doing. Whether you're married to a narcissist or whether you're just involved with a narcissistic corporation or you've got like a transnational narcissistic cabal, triangulation is triangulation and, and evil does the same game plans on the macro and the micro because that's how it is. Absolutely. But it's not just the triangulation, it's the dumbing down, right? You see, because if women do that, there are rare exceptions to this, but on the whole, they, they lose their power. 
And so we come back to like, well, why were the Knights Templar, these enlightened, badass Gnostics from the Middle Ages kneeling to women? And the, and the answer is, in the inner planes, like the, the women have, to cut a long story short, tons of the power there, you mm-hmm. see. Mm-hmm. And, and so like when a man, like a Knights Templar, or a standard man, like kneels to a woman, it's saying, right, I've got the manifested world. I'll be your protector here. I'll be your knight. I'll be your king down here. Right. Protect me in the inner. Like, look at that stuff in the inner. And then, and then it's like, well, which, which is the, the bit with the bigger impact? Like, which is the bit which is going to make a biggest deal? And it's like, well, the inner, man. And then the deeper you go in the inner, the more, the more the impact is. And, and this is the crime, right? Because if you get into the triangulation and that kind of stuff, w- women are even further away from their, what I think is their big job. I don't know if you agree or disagree. The initiatory process, yes. Yes, it's it's to it's to be masters of the particular inner planes that women are supposed to be masters of to to, to, to right. emotionally, intuitively, spiritually, like you know, be that light for us. If you understand the alchemy and stuff a little bit, like when we men talk to women, like we're projecting our soul onto them. You see, you want to get your soul right, but the triangulation approach and the, the corporatocracy thing doesn't just triangulate you it gets you so far away from that thing and everyone suffers the men suffer because now they're you're saying it's a misogynic world yeah it is but it's also a um misandrous world too because the, the way men are like gaslit and taken away from our, our authentic the power agreed we're, we're supposed to be strong as fuck and like dominant in this world and like kings down here that's our job so we're taken away from that and women are taken away from being like our souls like one of the things I loved lots from this conversation already, but like the way you were talking about deep diving into the depths of the waters and like exploring all that stuff. And you just, you can't even breathe when you're elsewhere. Well, like I could hardly think of a better expression of feminine energy. And, and if you do that, well, my God, what power you have mm-hmm. down there, you know? And then with the masculine and feminine combined there, we're unstoppable. But yes. we've got to do, again, we've got to get outside the Overton window. Turns out men are dominant in the manifested world and we're kings down here well there it is that's a big taboo but i'm saying it because it's true and it turns out women are weird and wonderful and ephemeral and like a a whore one minute and a queen the next minute and a witch this minute and a princess that minute and what does that even mean that's also true and that's also outside of the overton window and it's though and why is the overton window there it's to stop us getting out on something powerful and that's one of the freaking big ones down here at the moment Hi, I'm Libby Bunton, and on November 7th, I'll be co-leading an incredible group of women through a six-month journey of unbecoming with Monica. So I thought I'd hop on here to introduce myself, to just say hello, and tell you that you are not alone. What do I mean by alone? What I mean is that feeling of not speaking up when you know something is wrong, The feeling of being at war with your body or forcing yourself through when you are so exhausted or even thinking you're ungrateful for not being at peace with your life or you feel bad for wanting more. The good news and the bad news is that this is the experience of most of the women we've talked to. The feeling of being alone in a room full of people because of these isolating thoughts and our conditioning that teaches us to look everywhere but inside of ourselves, for the path to liberation. Monica and I have both lived through that hell, and we've dedicated ourselves to helping women reveal the unseen forces that keep us in that personal bondage, that keep us disconnected from our true desires, our magnificence, our beauty, and our unbridled self-expression. 
My own personal journey of unbecoming helped me dismantle the inner prison I had actually built to protect myself and to survive in this insane society that suppresses and denies the feminine at every turn. What really made it possible for me was a sisterhood of women who were with me, who could see me as I came undone. And trust me, I came undone who could relate to me, and most importantly, they did not try to fix me. As I came out on the other side, the me I revealed was my true self and the woman that I had always wanted to be. So if your body is having a response as you listen to these words, I want to remind you that your body knows the way, even though you've been taught to disregard it. I want to personally invite you to join us in this journey of unbecoming, because when you know it's time you know it's time. And by the way, I have every intention of making you laugh your ass off, find your deep inner humor, and have this be an experience like no other. So now you've heard a little from me, and I'd love to hear from you. To find out if this journey is a fit, get on the waitlist to have a call with me and Monica at signup.jointherevelation.com slash unbecoming. That's signup dot join the revelation.com slash unbecoming. And while you're there, you can read the testimonies of the amazing women who have already completed this program. I cannot wait to welcome you to the sisterhood and to fan your magnificent flames as you reveal the truth of who you really are. Have you heard the poem, Thunder Perfect Mind? Probably you have. I haven't. haven't. (laughs) Okay. Well, if you're a Mary Magdalene and you just did the pilgrimage and learned about the cath, well, I'm sure you knew about them, but kind of went to some of these sacred sites and where the cathars were, you will absolutely love this poem. It was written by a divine feminine being. It was found in the same time that the, the Gnostic texts were found. It's part of the Nag Hammadi library, I believe, but it's called Thunder Perfect Mind. And in it, this divine feminine being is talking about this paradox. And in fact, she says, I am the whore and the holy. And so in this whole poem is the paradoxical feminine. Yeah. And also it's this aspect, what I love so much, because as we continue to do this work and our own revelation project, what we find is that the world is actually inverted. And so it actually becomes easier and easier to turn it back right side up. Because if you understand that everything you're being told is an inversion of the truth, you have to just invert it back to its true form. And so you have to train your mind to start seeing the inversions. You're spot on. So, so I often say on the live stream, like, look, that is the best compass we have down here at this particular time. Find whatever narratives they're pushing or gaslighting you away from in the mainstream everything and do the exact 100% opposite. And I'm yet to find an instance where that doesn't work. Me too. Me too. God, this has been such a great conversation. So where do you want to head next? We have about, I don't know, 15 more minutes or so, but I'm like, I'll go wherever you want. Where do you want to go? Let's talk about Gnosticism. Okay. I'll try to keep up. You probably know way more than I do. I, I don't know. We, we, we all got like elements to bring to this conversation. So, okay. So I, I, I think we're in World War III. Mm-hmm. 
that's outside the Overton window, but it happens to be true. I think the death count from this war will be bigger than World War One, Two, and communism put together, and probably the suffering involved as well. I think it's a battle between good and evil. And I think right at the, at the bottom, it's the big Gnostic revolution. And I think for a long time in the spiritual dark age, you've had these Gnostic little things pop up every now and then with like the Manichaeans, the Templars, the Cathars, the Master Jesus, the Essenes, you know, because they're the ones that wrote the Dead Sea Stroll. And then you had John the Baptizer, like who baptized Jesus and the rest of it. There's a bunch, bunch more of them, right? And the way I understand Gnosticism is, is this current that, run, that is timeless and yes yeah it exists in a world that's outside of this time bit right and then every now and then like you can drill into it and draw that stuff out right and, and so so i think like this is the big one like you had all these little false starts and if we get this thing right here i think this whole period in time will be defined as the big gnostic revolution yes i love that and so how do you define, because that begs the question, how do you define Gnosticism? Yeah, that's, that's a, it's a really hard one. Well, okay, so it's the, you could say it's the stuff that those five or six different groups that I listed there, there's other ones as well, like uh, looked into. So that's one way of defining it. Because sometimes they just, people say, oh, well, Gnosticism means truth. So you're searching for truth. But then it's like, oh, whose truth is truth? And then any truth will do. And it's no, it's, it's a specific little category of truth that these different cultures all drilled into and got the same thing, you know? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So it's, I, I think it's the, it's the big spiritual tradition. It's, it's the one spiritual mountain, the one gnosis from which there are many, many paths and combinations of paths up the mountain. Right. The one true thing really going on here. Yeah. Yeah. In all of its facets. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Like the alchemists would have been one. The, the, you know, before them, like the stuff that came from ancient Egypt before those guys, you know, so and actually, the one whole truth is so multidimensional and deep and vast, like it, it's contradictory and doesn't even look like one group of truth, and it's really complex. And so that's it. And I also think it's intimately, necessarily connected with love. All, all of these groups are, have at their core love, truth, respect. Integrity. Integrity, yeah. All of that stuff. And so, so those are key components to it. And then the enemy, like, you know, North Korea, the Soviet Union, the clowns now, the banking cartels, they're the opposite of all that stuff. They have control, they have censorship, they have, you get deep into the darkness of that stuff, satanic ritual abuse, and even worse, like occult practices, which do well on the lower things, but dissolve as you get deeper into the inner planes. So I've done a bit of a shit job at describing Gnosticism there, but Perhaps I've given like broad strokes as to what it is and give people a kind of general feel of it. Yeah. And I've had Miguel O'Connor, depending on when he drops or keeps the O, I've had him on the show and I've done quite a bit actually on Gnosticism from different points of view. So I feel like my listener has enough background. But what I also think is happening with Gnosticism, you know, it's like, we talk about this gnosis. And again, I really believe that there's this very embodied experience that is required with Gnosticism. Million percent. So, so to jump on that, because I think that's absolutely key. Yeah. Like to, to do the Gnostic thing, sure, there are books and stuff written on it. Fine. But really what happens is, is your whole being both outside and within travels through an experience and the experience transforms you in a way that you can't predict before the initiation starts and ongoing. And it's where all the magic is. 
It's where all the interest is. It's where all the grooviness and all the color and all the depth is, which is what everything in this plasticide world, world is lacking. That's what everyone lacks. Hence the anxiety and depression and the shit architecture ever, everywhere, right? So it's got all that stuff. But boy, oh boy, is it hard. If that doesn't seem like sickeningly difficult to, to the people listening, like think about it again. Something moves through you both outside and within, and then, and then you have a connection that forms between outside and within. So there's a third element that grows there. I'll throw it in there. It's the Holy Grail and Philosopher's Stone. <laughs> if that doesn't seem like sickeningly difficult, like think about it more carefully. Like it's, it's, it's terrifying, but we have to do it. And, and actually the living death of denying, ignoring, gaslighting. Well, we don't have to do it. And we come back again and again and again and again. This is, I think... So here's where I think it gets really interesting is that, you know, we do have a will, we have choices. And so I think this is where that moral compass and that inner really know thyself. (laughs) There've been all of these clues. And again, all of these teachings have been co-opted and bastardized and blah, blah, blah. But when you come down to the essence of some of these really essential teachings, they're so simple, but they're so profound. And so know thyself is one of them for me. Such a good point. Because if we know ourselves, that's where we cannot be fooled into abandoning ourselves and what feels true over here. And so what I have found out is that when I don't know, it's not bad. It just means it's not time to choose yet. Okay. Like when I don't know, then I'm going within and I become in this contemplative state and I, I am asking to be informed. Yes. And I have to trust that that might come in the visit of a hummingbird and then a rainstorm and then an insight that just crops in when I'm in the shower. And then suddenly I have more information, but it's, do you see what I'm saying? Like there is a way that I think when we know ourselves in this way, it's so counter what we've been taught that it is actually, I can't describe my process. I can give you ideas, but you, I'm sure you have your own version of this. And that's what I feel like I'm constantly inviting the women that I coach to get in touch with. There is not Richard's way or Monica's way, or there's, we all have our own way. And that is the way that is the path. Yeah, man, that, that's such good points. And again, there's so much to unpack with that. So, so the, the nuance is, yes, find your own groovy individual way. And the world, the evil team evil will try and gaslight you and cajole you and bully you out of that. And that's one of the big tests. It's like, no, find your own way. But then paradoxically, the whole thing is always paradoxical. There are definite ways. <laughs> like we said, the nature worship thing is one way. And that's a defined freaking way. Another way is like, tell the truth. I mean, that's a way. And if you keep lying, it's going to take you away from it. You know, like, so, so there are definite prescribed ways and systems as well. But then also within that, you've got to find your own way to self-actualize, not actualize some calcified, contrived thing. Well said. And, and that's, thank you. And, and that's the problem you see, because like you get these people that can drill into the, this timeless stream of Gnosticism. They get it. They pull the message back and they're like, look, it's like this. But the thing is, you're making the message now in the manifested world, which isn't the timeless place where the Gnosis is from, right? So like you have to dumb down the message. And then what happens is the message gets calcified over time. And then people obsess about all the rules and minutiae, but in doing so, they lost it. And this is why our spiritual tradition wasn't here at the big 
you know, the Great Awakening, the Great Reset. It wasn't here to defend us. In fact, it was going along with the system, identified with the system, part of the system. Because by the time we got here, Monica, like, the crucifixes in the churches really were just crosses. The stained glass re- windows really were just bits of pretty windows. That's all. It became literalized. And the depth of the gnosis was lost from it. I think the time is called iconoclasm, where like you destroy a symbol, you see. Yes, yes. Such a great point. Thank you. So let's, I, f- I forgot where, where we got, how we got onto this. Well, we got onto it because we're like you and I, I think we're kind of really coming together to describe like, how do we interpret what Gnosis is? Yeah. And so there's, it kind of is in this realm of you can't pin a butterfly. As soon as you do, you destroy the magic of that living thing. It's you can't nail down a transformative process because it's always transforming. That's another way to describe it. But it is tapping into the one true thing going on here over and over and over again. But we remember and then we forget. We remember and then we forget. And so we're given glimpses because as human beings who also are from the divine, and this is where it gets really interesting too, I believe the feminine is from the divine realm, the man is from the earth realm, and that together we make the divine and the human. That that's actually what happened if you read if you go back to some of these ancient texts, that's what was also being described was that at one point, Adam, this comes from just a brilliant interview with Joanna Kuyava. And then I did another one with uh, Celine Lilly, who talks about the rape of Eve. And that for me was really, really edifying because it helped me understand like, what is this psycho-spiritual or this psycho-erotic split that happens for women? Because when we're taking out of the body and we're disconnected from our erotic power, we kind of get trapped in outside of the spiritual realm. Which is where you belong. Which is where we belong. So thank you so much for having this conversation, Richard, because I, I, I have to tell you, I, I haven't really been with anybody yet that has the same amount of enthusiasm about this conversation. It, it blows my mind. It's so, And I could talk about it all day long. Well, thanks, Monica. I'm interested in it because it's an essential component of freedom, right? Because I want freedom and I'm, I don't want to die. I want to get to the good bit uh, afterwards. But like, if I have to die during this thing, I will. Okay. But, but then it's like, all right, how do we have freedom? And the answer isn't just known about the conspiracies and stuff like that. It's like, we, we have to know that the, the tyranny within and how we've like, got ourselves all bent out of shape. And like, when we put ourselves back together again, like this, what you're talking about here, what we're talking about is a major freaking component of it. You see, if you don't have all that stuff, then you become a slavish, deformed creature. And a tyrannical system built on hierarchy and fear must 100% come from that stuff, you see. Yes. And so it becomes, what are we up to now? It, you were calling, what is this period? If it's not the Kali Yuga, it's the... Dwapa Yuga. I'm probably saying it wrong, but it's the, it's the Bronze Age. It's the one after... Okay. And so, yeah, like, what do you think, you know, in our last like five minutes, just some light breakfast talk here? What, (laughs) what, like, what do you think, you know, we're up to in our human evolution right now? Because I'm sure you're familiar with Paul Levy's work, Wetico, like this idea of the virus of the mind and people waking up and this might be the time, you know, in our human evolution where we actually are reaching this tipping point of consciousness where we may not actually destroy ourselves this time. What's going to happen? Let me get my popcorn. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think what you're saying there, definitely. Like, I, th- I think that the, what I think, 
I think this is World War Three. I think it is the Gnostic Revolution. I think it's the big one. But it, but it also had to be this way, you know, in this like kind of spiritual kind of way where everything always just as it, it, I think it actually really is exactly like yeah, everything's perfect. Yeah, just as it is. Yeah, but it is. And and, and so it, it's not just that we're coming out of the Kala Yuga and out of it, I think, because, you know, to put a fine point on that, and if anyone thinks we're in a Kala Yuga, like we've got space travel, we've got the Internet, we've got, you know, we're doing this over Skype, like we've got all this knowledge that that's not Kala Yuga stuff. That's the stuff afterwards. See, but we we have the hangover which is the cabal from from the abuse and the darkness in the Kala Yuga. So I think we've got the big one. And what's happened is the world has organized itself a la the, the second part of the age of Pisces, right? Because Pisces is two fish. And in Pisces, you go into hierarchies and schools. And if you stand outside the school, you get kind of like told to get back in. First fish was the, the Christ. The second fish is the Antichrist. Both are there for us to, to learn about ourselves, to know ourselves, which is how to use this terrifyingly big, thing which is our, our capacity for consciousness and, and what that entails which is which is a big deal and so in the second part of the age of pisces you look in any city around the world and you see these big skyscrapers the first part you saw cathedrals as people which represented people striving upwards to find the christ and, and work together in these communities and these schools that's why we have schools now to bring that in the second half that started to get eclipsed by banks and like fucking corporations and all these big things. And now, now like these skyscrapers in the cities are represent someone's egoic consciousness just to the glory of one ego at the top. Like, yes, I'm stronger than, than everyone else. Right. And of course, when you have that thing, your psyche fragments and then the shadow of that is your fear of the inferior position, which gets projected onto other people down lower in the, in, in the power pyramid. That's how it works. And then those pyramids come together. And then you ha- at the top, you got the top of the cabal. Um, which is an interesting conversation for another time. Now, what's happening is <laughs> it's cool, though. And what happens is that thing's got so toxic and so corrupted and so full of parasites, where the parasites are just feeding off each other now, which can't work. People are waking up, and there's a splitting off now into the network of the age of knowledge, the age of Aquarius, where you get if you so if you want knowledge in this age, you're going to get it. You think the knowledge you've got now is good? Wait three months; it's going to blow your mind. And then three months, it'll be double that. So you want knowledge? It's cool. It's the age of work out your own stuff, like find your own truth. So when you're saying like, oh yeah, this everyone's got their own individual way. Well, that's in a big way. That's the age of Aquarius talking, right? Yes, so you, yes. Being a sensitive individual, you pick this stuff up faster than other people, right? And so you're picking up the energies in the new age before a little earlier than the other people, okay? And so and, and like things like the, the internet and cryptocurrency and all that stuff is is a is a representation of this age of knowledge. So it's the movement from Aquarius, from Pisces to Aquarius, but it's also a time when we've got this big Gnostic revolution. And just to finish that whole point, that massive Titanic, probably high point of the great year amount of evil has this monumental level of shadow for all of us to look at, right? And so so people like us, we're going to overcome, 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 overcome faster than probably anyone, maybe anyone else in the whole great year has to overcome collectively that's kind of the big deal at the moment as we chew through just grotesque levels of shadow both within and outside but in doing so this it provides this ridiculous amount of leverage to lever those who choose to overcome and are curious and oriented to truth and love and liberty into a preposterously higher level of consciousness which Mm -hmm. is stuff that people like carl jung the alchemist the templars the Master Jesus, Mary Magdalene, all those people, right? They're talking about this, the Gnosis, which is... They're talking about these levels of initiation that end up 
really illuminating this Christ consciousness or getting to this place of yes. Yes, you're completely right. The emphasis I want to put on there is like that we needed that to have that at such a momentum upwards. We needed that savage level of darkness. It's literally like a physics lesson. Exactly. Well, yeah, because there's a mirror between like inner and outer, or even with physics and stuff, right? But like the, the point is like, there's 50 world ending things right now with the nanotech, the genetic engineering, the, the nukes, which are like 80 years old by now, like the freaking scalar physics. If anyone knows what, what that is, like it's, it's the stuff that runs the UFOs and Tesla was talking about and on and on. So if we're in that fear-based culture, you cannot have those toys. You just can't. But understand in this way, like thinking like, like a Gnostic, you can. You see, mm-hmm. and, 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 and so it's, it's, a, it's, if we can pull this thing together, and I know you're working hard for this moniker and I'm working hard on it too. If that is the future, it's, it's a Gnostic revolution. It's going into the age, age of Aquarius. It's going into the network and it's everyone individually doing that alchemical transformation. And it's about defeating evil and putting it in its place. It's all of that stuff. We defeat the cabal. We have an age of freedom and the toys and the interest and the coolness and the science fiction and the fantasy world all combined into one are going to be so interesting and so fun and so deep that you don't even know. I love that. Yeah. That's what we're in. That's, that's now. Okay, perfect. And back to love, because that's what I think too, is like, there's this, so it, to me, I guess I see it too, as this tipping point. And what I love about this idea of the tipping point is that if we were to look at the the whole and recognize, no, it's just a, a percentage of us that need to create enough momentum for the tipping point, because then we literally can help everybody else get there. Million percent. But we have to kind of come over that threshold. And that's truly what I I believe, you know, it's like, I don't even know why I believe that, right? It's just like, it's just occurred to me over time, like, yes, that actually resonates as true. And that's the other thing about Gnosis is, I think, you know, it comes from this place of like, no, I have no proof for that. No, it's not logical. No, it's not. But there are parts of it that between the head and the heart, that there, that's where the truth is. And we know that in different ways, all of us individually who are kind of having this conversation, but our ways of expressing it are different. So, and I think, again, it's just helpful to hear. A million percent. Well, that's where the intuitive faculty is, which is a major component of this. It's not all of it, but it's a major component of it. So like all of us have got more work to do, right? So if, if you're thinking, oh, come on, normies, wake up, or come on, cabal, get finished, or what, what have you, this, you're not fully true. You're not fully uh, free. And you've got a ton of inner work to do to bring inner and outer together and explore both. So like, so the cool thing about this war that we're in is every single one of us has tons of work to do today, you know, like, like in, in bringing those things in yourself. You don't have to wait for people. Go be more free by the end of today, you know? Well, and that's why, you know, I love, I mean, for me, that is what the Revelation Project is, is like I often say, don't do his Revelation Project, do yours. Every time I go to point out there, I'm just like, Monica, go in here. It's for me, it's that gives us all permission to continually come back home to ourselves and say like, I know it's uncomfortable. I know it's hard. I know it's frustrating, but just come back to yourself and stop looking out there for the world to change, change in here. Million percent. Yeah. So love then is the solution and fear is the enemy. And it's really weird because that's such a cliche and I can't be that simple. Literally, it's that simple. 
And the simple is the most profound. So yeah, like you said, like know know thyself. Like I mean, how many lifetimes do you have to spend to really do that? Like probably you can't. It's an infinite question, you know. And equally, love is the answer. It really is, and fear is the enemy. It really is. It sounds simple. It sounds dumb, but it's actually the strategic map of where we are right now. It's so true. Before we exit, I first want to say thank you. I have loved this conversation. We have to do it again, okay? Because I feel like we could do like a million episodes together and just still be like, so yes to another episode for sure. But I also want my listeners to be able to find you. So like, where can they go to learn more about you? Been shadow banned in, in a lot of places. And so like, yay for you, well bragged. So what can you tell my listener about how to find you? Because they're not going to find you on the normal places. Yeah. And, that, and that's the tragedy of this thing. So everyone like us, right? The more like us you become, like the more like sidelined you, you get. And, that, and that's the way it has to look. But again, it's so perfect. It's so perfect because in a lot of ways, it's like, I want to say to my listeners, why do you think he's been shadow banned? Yeah. Maybe he's got something worth listening to. Well, thanks, Monica. I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, if you, if you like the sort of stuff we've been talking about here and, and you want to do some personal development stuff, you can hire me as your life coach. So I've got a coaching website called richardharriscoaching.com. You can go there for that. I'm also on odyssey.com and I do a live stream every Tuesday at 8 p.m. UK time. So that's free. So just hop on and ask questions. And it's all about liberty and the sort of stuff we've been talking about here. We, we, I think we have a lot of fun doing it so come to that and i also do a bunch of interviews and things on that odyssey channel too so it's so it's richard harris coaching on odyssey or my life coaching website and that's that's how, how you find me so good so good well thank you again and for my listeners i'll be sure to put richard's links in the show notes and until next time more to be revealed we hope you enjoyed this episode For more information, please visit us at jointherevelation.com and be sure to download our free gift, subscribe to our mailing list, or leave us a review on iTunes. We thank you for your generous listening. And as always, more to be revealed.